Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This is Reasons to be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Hello. Hello. Now, it's our last yeah. episode before our summer break. Yeah. The podcast will continue. You'll be able to hear various live episodes that we've recorded in recent weeks and months. Really good ones. Yeah, but it's, it's our the show before we break up yes. for our little break. And I have good news for you. Yeah. Before you got here this morning, yeah. I fixed the Japanese toilet. Oh, my God. So if you want to go and uh, indulge yourself oh after we God. finish, there's a little pre-holiday treat for you. That's amazing. Yeah. That, that it's been out of action for sort of 18 months. months. Yeah. yeah, 20 months. And, and yeah, you, you'll be fresh as a daisy. How did you manage to fix it? I found the remote control and put some batteries in. I mean, there was no great mystery to it. That's impressive. In a world that is kind of relatively chaotic, does restoring a sort of some order of a sort of relatively minor things give you a sense of reassurance because it does with me definitely well maybe we'll see maybe you know the 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 my japanese toilet working was the thing that was keeping the world intact and by letting it go to rack and ruin 20 months ago you think things might turn around maybe i've I mean, got a I long list promise. of things i have to do before i go on holiday mm-hmm. and you know it's sort of doing them will make me feel like the world is sort of more in control, even though it's like the world is quite out of control. Yeah, that, yeah, that... there is there's something psychologically interesting about that. Just yeah. if you can't control external meta, events, yes, then you should control the yeah whatever the opposite of the meta is. What is the opposite of the meta? According to Doctor Google, meta is the opposite. I don't think that's quite unmeta. <laughs> that's more like it. Yeah. That's more anyway, like so it. C- controlling the minor things yeah. means you feel less sort of kind of bad about the the major things. And while we're away on our summer break, you, the listener, will get to hear a hundredth episode recorded at Abbey Road. Happy birthday to us. That's right, which which we did last week. And I said I would... Dear Ed and Jeff, and reasons to be cheerful. Happy birthday to us. us. We're a jolly good fellows. (laughs) We're Um, a jolly good podcast. Yes. So I didn't tell you about the awful thing that happened. So we we were lucky enough to be hosted by Universal Music at yeah. Abbey Road Studios, yeah. and we were very excited. Yeah. Uh, and they arranged for for Giles yeah. Martin to be uh, one of our guests, who's son of George Martin, who's Mr. Abbey Road. Yeah. Really, we also had a fantastic uh, one of the sort of breakthrough acts of the last year, Rebecca Taylor from yeah. Self Esteem, and to close the show, a performance by Katie Tunstall. Yeah. So they really looked after us. Yeah. Before you arrived, I'm in the big. Studio Two at Abbey Road, yeah. and I fairly much literally bump into Katie Tunstall, and somebody says, "Oh, this is Jeff." Now she she hasn't got a clue what that means. Yeah. She just thinks I'm here to do a podcast yeah. with Ed Miliband, who is who is this Jeff that I've never heard of. So instead of just explaining that, I make it a little bit worse because in a former life, I've interviewed her a couple of times. So I say, 
Oh, actually, we, we we have met, I think. I think you were on my old radio show a couple of times playing in session. She then pretends to remember me, but she doesn't really yeah. remember me. And I try and make it better by saying, oh, I looked a bit different, my hair was longer. And, and, and then to try and rescue things and change the subject a bit, I said, I always loved it how whenever you'd come in to perform a session, you had your own microphone. Do you remember that Diamante microphone you used to have? And she she looked at me and then she just said, I think you'll find that was Amy McDonald, not me. <gasps> That is terrible. I know. That is really bad. It's not great, is it? What did you say? Uh, I said, oh, well, there we go. What, one all then. One all. You didn't remember me. And I got you mixed up with Amy McDonald. Making it even worse. Yeah, well, I'm not good at, the, you know, these type of interactions aren't my strong yeah. suit. Anyway, I left her to do her sound check in the, in the studio. I went out into the corridor. I'm, like, I'm sure. Have I made it up? Have I met Katie Tunstall? So I was Googling my own name and then Katie Tunstall next to it. And sure enough, there comes up on my phone pictures of me and Katie Tunstall in 2011. As I'm doing this, guess who comes over and looks over my shoulder? Katie Tunstall. Yes. <laughs> yeah. it was just excruciating yeah i mean i think it reflects very well on her yeah that there's there's no evidence of any of that happening during the interview yeah yeah the funny thing was about today is that i, I didn't necessarily feel the need to say hello to you because you didn't say goodbye to me on sunday night <laughs> So we did a live show in Clapham on Sunday night, and I didn't say goodbye. What's the, one minute I was with you, and it was like, should we get something to eat? And the next minute, you'd buggered off. No, you said you didn't want to get anything to eat. Well, I said it in a kind of... I felt a little bit rejected, because I keep making these social no, advances. No, no, no. You've oh, decided sorry. our friendship is is going to be a purely professional. No, because your wife, Sarah, was like, I really want to go home. And I said, okay, fine, no, I'm happy to go home. And, and, and then I texted him, and, and he said... Uh, and I said, are you okay? Thinking he always had gone off home. He said, oh, yeah, I'm in Pizza Express. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, thanks for my fucking invite to Pizza Express. You'd had an Ed Miliband-themed sandwich at the venue. I thought you were full. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right, should we talk about what we're talking about? We should. We should. We've got a fantastic conversation. We're talking to two great organisations that are working to bridge divides in communities and bring people together. And, you know, it's really interesting. Loneliness is an issue that affects older people, but there's also increasing evidence that it affects younger people as well. And and our guests are overcoming that by bringing people together. So we're talking to Alex Smith, who's founder of The Cares Family, an organisation that runs networks connecting young people with older people, and Ivo Gormley, who set up Good Gym, which encourages people to combine exercise, something I know you're enthusiastic about, with basically doing good things for their benefit and the benefit of other people. And I think it's a really, really interesting I meant you just about that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll be talking to Emma and Joyce, who have been involved in Good Gym in Bristol. And honestly, it's a bit like the Park Run episode, this. It will really inspire people, I think. Yeah. And then we have a comedian called Joe Bohr, who's going to be telling us about his Edinburgh show and, uh, and giving us ideas, which could be reasons to be cheerful. Well, my reason to be cheerful is I'm obviously sad to be without you for a month, but I'm really looking forward to my holiday. I'm going to be in Vancouver. The Groover um, from Vancouver. The Groover from, well, maybe I should call myself that. And we're going to, family and I are going to various islands and driving around and all that jazzaroo. I was going to sort of pick, pick what I'm doing with my holidays. Is, it's not quite holidays for me, but time off at the podcast. Um, so, so I'm going to Salford to do some work for the BBC. But for some of the time, I'll be in Edinburgh, where my wife is doing her second 
Edinburgh hour of stand-up this year at the Pleasance Upstairs. It's called Enemies Closer. And, Ooh, interesting. Uh, Last year it was called For Worse. Yes. As in For Better or Worse. Yes. Or For Worse. Uh, Enemies Closer. Yes. Interesting. So I was just going to recommend that. Uh, yeah. As part of my reason to be cheerful, she's called Sarah Barron. She's very funny. She's absolutely brilliant. Uh, she's on every she's evening. Quite rude. Yeah, yeah. It's not family friendly. But it's good. It, my rude, friend saw it last rude, night, rude, and he did a way. tweet saying it's not family friendly, especially not to her family. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's called Enemies Closer, and it's on the Pleasants upstairs. This is Reasons to Be Cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're joined now in the loft by Ivo Gormley, who is founder and chief executive of Good Gym, and Alex Smith, founder and chief executive of the Cares Family. Hello, both. Hello. Hey. Alex, tell us about the, the Cares Family and, and, and what it is and how you came to be involved and, and start it. You started it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in 2011. But funnily enough, there's some, some symmetry in the relationship with Ed because it goes back to General Election Day. May the 6th, 2010, which was the day before I think I started working with Ed Miliband on his then leadership election. Um, and I myself was a council candidate um, in the area that I grew up in North London, was doing my rounds, knocking on people's doors, trying to get people to come out and vote, and met an 84-year-old man behind one of the doors who said he'd love to come out and vote. He'd never missed an election in his life, but he wouldn't be able to on this day because he hadn't been out of his house for three months. He hadn't spoken to anyone for three months apart from his carer who bought him his breakfast in the morning and his dinner at night. Um, and there was a wheelchair behind him, so I cheekily suggested that if he was happy to and comfortable to, I would wheel him down the road. That's one extra vote, right? And you work for every vote. I'd wheel him down the road um, so that he could perform that democratic duty that he obviously so valued. And, and did you often wheel him back up again once he'd voted? Oh, yeah, I wasn't right. just going to leave him there. No, 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 yeah, yeah. Um, he became animated while we were out. He was waving at people. He said it was lovely to be out on a very sunny day. Um, if only he could get a haircut because he felt in those three months he'd lost his dignity, um, in his own words. So having lost my election, my council election, the next day I went back and visited Fred again and wheeled him down the road again, five minutes down the road, to the barber shop in Holloway where um, he sat and he had a haircut and I got to know him a bit and it turned out we had loads in common. Mostly that he had set up and run the shop that was my favourite place growing up in Camden Town as a kid, Escapade, which wow. I'm sure Ed will yeah, remember. Party fancy dress. Shop. Yeah, yeah, party and fancy yeah. dress shop. Um, that was his shop. So I had met him 25 years earlier, but he'd fallen into isolation. I'd fallen into the kind of isolation of being indulged in your own little world of commuting to work with your iPhone headphones on and hanging out with other people who are just like you in front of a computer screen all day. And as well as Fred and I becoming friends, a light bulb went off in my head and I thought there must be lots of older people like Fred with deep roots in their community, but very few connections and lots of people like me, young people in their 20s and early 30s with hundreds of connections in the social media age, but no roots in their community necessarily. So founded North London Cares. Um, and eight years later, we have South London Cares, Manchester Cares, Liverpool Cares, and about to be East London Cares as well, which bring older and younger people together to share time, laughter and new experiences. And, and how are you doing that? Four key programs. Um, the first is called Love Your Neighbour, um, which are relationships just like mine and Fred's, where people hang out in one another's homes. They go out for coffees together. They go to football matches together. We give them a small budget to go to do whatever it is they want to do or get a fish and chip supper in on a Friday night. The second program is called Social Clubs, dance parties, new technology workshops, back to work business visits, desert island disc nights where people share their favourite records. Basically group activities where 20, 30, 40 older people and 20, 30, 40 younger people come together um, to share those experiences. Outreach, which is basically door knocking and speaking to people in supermarkets and at bus stops and in pubs and at betting shops and um, in chemists, basically where they are in the community where isolation can exist. And we bring older people in 
to the network that way. And we share stories online, um, which inspires and enables young people to get involved as well. So, so lots to talk about there, which we're, we're going to come back to. I just want to bring Ivo in at this point. Uh, Ivo, what is Good Gym and, and tell us the story behind that? Um, so yeah, Good Gym came from my own uh, sort of needs, I suppose. I, I, I basically wasn't exercising. I used to play a lot of basketball uh, when I was at university um, and I'd come back to London and found myself not exercising. And after a few years, my friends were saying, you really should go to the gym. And I just I just didn't like that specific idea of going into a, a sweaty basement and paying loads of money to lift loads of things that don't really need lifting um, and to run nowhere on a treadmill and thought, what if I could put that same energy into doing something that He's was a actually man after your own very art, much so? He? Yeah. So, like, what would you, to, to literally give yourself a purpose for that for that exercise. Um, and I think you know that the, the treadmill is an amazing symbol of things going quite badly wrong. I mean, the, the Romans literally built uh, you know c- cathedrals and uh, bridges with 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 treadmills. They achieved incredible work, and now they're like it's this symbol of this isolation. That instead of doing something useful and productive and for the greater good, for thinking about the future, we actually just you're really putting me off it. the gym, Ivo. Um, I think I'm going to cancel my membership. Yeah. I was actually thinking about this today. Well, come come for yeah. a good gym run. Um, so instead, um, I started um, running to deliver the newspaper to a, 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 a guy called Terry, who was um, uh, similarly to, to, to what Alex's experiences with Fred was very much on his own. How did you know Terry? He was my friend's parents' ex-builder, um, and we'd been past his house because my friend was like, "This guy, um, we might like a visit." While we were w- walking by, um, and I thought, "Yeah, if I if I could." drop into him so i went to chat to him and said how about i come and visit you once a week and he said well it'd be really handy if you could bring me the sun newspaper did you try um, and talk him around to a different newspaper <laughs> it, it wasn't my choice and i didn't feel i should argue with it, but, but um yeah but the sun it was so and um it was quite it only cost 20p at the time so it was sort of like, okay i have one 20p piece in my pocket that didn't jangle uh, but every tuesday and thursday i'd go around delivering the newspaper and he didn't have any family or friends that visited him um at all uh and so i was the only person who wasn't paid to be visiting him and over the years that that I knew him, we became very good friends. Um, and for me, it was that reason to go out and do some exercise. And what's so exciting about, I think, what the Cares family are doing and what I was doing is it's positioning this thing that uh, I think neither of us really like talking about volunteering because it sort of assumes like I, my life sorted i'm gonna go and help those people who's really got problems and i think what's so amazingly empowering about what, what we're doing is it just it just feels great it feels good to be uh doing and what kinds of things someone. do people do i mean you you started with terry and the taking a copy of the sun but yeah. what, are, what are the other what, what what's the range of things so we do that we we, we match up uh, runners with uh, older people in that area who might need that 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 extra support but we also run to do manual labor for community projects um so uh, last night i was in wanstead with um 15 other runners and we were um pulling ivy out of the out of the trees to stop stop them being um, pulled down by the ivy uh, we help with schools with playgrounds with parks anything that's manual labor for the good of the public we turn it into a workout and how does it compare with a regular workout? Often when people are runners, they kind of get in a zone and it's, it's, it's quite solitary in a way. Do you, do you get people who are serious about running? I'm sort of in both camps these days. I used to be like, that is really pointless to, to run around the block. But uh, since getting into it, I now can appreciate that sort of pleasure in the sort of getting into your own thoughts and that like meditative side of it. Um, but I also love the social side. It was, it was great last night meeting people who, you know, really uh, don't run that much and we're finding this a great way uh, into it. Um, I think if you generally want to be more physically active, um, then we're a fantastic solution to it. If you are a professional athlete uh, or you're particularly wanting to build up your you know, biceps to look good on the beach, whatever, then we're probably not 
not for you. Uh, I mean, I'm just squeezing they're, Jeff's biceps. They're, they're, I genuinely they're looking pretty didn't good. know that was a bicep. <laughs> <laughs> that is how little I know. It's going to encourage you to, to, to be more active and it's going to encourage you to be healthy. It's also extremely good for your, for your well-being, which I think is actually what many people are looking for. So I think actually it is yeah, definitely a viable alternative. And you've got 15,000... Runners. Runners. And how often are they doing stuff for you? Um, we will have about 1,500 people a week actually doing a task um, every week. They tend to be once a week, do they? Quite a few people are like, do loads. And yeah. It's ridiculous the amount that they're yeah. doing. And there's a bit of a competition to see who can do the most yeah. uh, in, in a month. Um, but probably average is, you know, a, a couple of times, a couple of times a month. So, and, and that's important to us. We want this to be easy. We'd, we'd love you to, you know, have a go and do it once, find it easy to, to come in and out. Definitely. It, you know, people's lives yeah, are changing very rapidly. I, I like, you know, I'd, I'd be up for a bit of um, ivy pulling. Pull, pull, pulling out the ivy, the running. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit more concerned. No, no that's about. okay. We don't, we don't want to make you yeah. do anything. You yeah. are not comfortable with. Can I just ask you both a question before we get on to some of the effects of all this? How do you go from I met Fred, I met Terry to f- th- thousands of people across different parts of the country? I mean, what's the sort of journey that take the the, the... I can only experience. I can only articulate the experience that I've had. I think Ivo would have had a different one. And anybody starting a community organisation yeah. in their own community will have to do this differently. But what I would say is that if you have some big grand vision and a group of trustees or strategists sitting around and figuring out the best way to transform or end a social issue, you're never going to get anywhere. The way that we did it was absolutely the opposite. It was accidental. It was incremental. It snowballed. It started with just me with no plan, no trustees, no money. I was also working full-time doing other things in the first year, including for you, Ed, actually. Um, And then um, bit by bit, um, I think I realized that this issue was fundamental um, at the one of the fundamental issues at the heart of British society, which was pulling us apart. You just have to kind of go slow and incrementally and follow your nose a little bit and not think too much about the grand vision and what you're trying to do. And what's the process of matching people up? And, and then we'll hear from Ivo, but how, how easy or difficult is that? Oh, the, we have spent months and months and months on 100-page risk assessments and... Um, you know, different policies that um, help the younger people to be protected when they're going to visit an older person, uh, that make big group settings with dynamics and wires and things moving around and dance parties. We've had to make sure that those environments are incredibly safe for people. But at the same time, we appreciate that interactions with strangers involves risk. And we don't want to completely eliminate that risk. And I don't know, I don't know if it's the, the and, same. And what does, does that look like? Like a, a, a Tinder, for example? Would I log on to <laughs> it and it'd show me like, sort of 10 lonely people near me? You would go to our website. You would uh, sign up and come along to an induction. We would introduce you to the work that we do, why it's important, some of the stories of the old neighbours who are involved. We'd hopefully inspire you through an individual story um, and somebody that you could get to know one-to-one. Or you might just come along to a social club, a Desert Island Disc Night, where you bring your favourite records along and you share what those records mean to you. And some people in their 80s and 90s will share some records that might surprise you and uh, tell you what those records mean to them. What's the most popular of the activities you do? The one-to-one or the more... The group group activities because you can get more people into them. I think they're also more visible as well and they're more dynamic and and we don't have to protect and safeguard them in the same way that we do a one-to-one relationship in somebody's home. Ivo, how did you go from Terry to thousands? It's... Keeping going to some extent is is a huge part of these things happening, I think, and and also being able to... um, form an actual community and i think fun is a major part of that the part where i realized 
we're onto something here is, is is actually when the group session started to be weekly the group session started as like oh that could be quite good we could get we, we as a way of getting around dbs checks when the group runs became weekly people started forming a community around it became part of the way that you sort of live your week uh, you'd see your friends there you'd be excited about what that sort of adventure you were going to go on that that night would be um and people started really enjoying it and i think i think that's that's what's so important about this i think is that there is so much pleasure and excitement in in being part of something like this and i think what some of the problems that we're tackling is actually in day-to-day life uh, these days you're actually not given that many opportunities to contribute positively to that to that um to, to the community or located sort of geography in which you in which you live um, and what about this the scale of loneliness that's out there what have you learned about it i think for us we've learned that there's something like nine million people in the uk of all different ages are often or always lonely how do you quantify lonely just just say to somebody are you lonely yes no what's the what's the way that you measure it? <laughs> well the difficult thing is that it's a very subjective experience it is both an emotional problem and a public health problem and a political problem the work that we do doesn't seek to label a lonely hearts club for lonely people i think that's the sort of thing that nobody's going to come to right so we've definitely very intentionally act as an organization which is trying to be preventative and as ivo says fun and create a community and a network around people who are most at risk of loneliness which includes people living in social housing people who are retired and by the way younger people and young professionals in particular in big cities one of the things that i always think is that while it may seem to somebody who's living a life in their 20s and 30s that they have a glamorous life because they're working in big city firms or they're going to a wedding at the weekend or they're hanging out in the pub or they're going to the gym that actually the currency that they derive from that is in some ways less valuable than the currency that you derive from human interactions re-raising your empathy if you're a management consultant and you come along and you know you're at a wedding on a saturday and people ask what do you do as their first question it used to be how do you do uh, and now you know if you sit with a 90 year old man or woman who's got a lifetime full of stories of love and loss and hope and heartbreak and misadventure to tell and you tell them you're a management consultant, that's going to have no currency with them. So you have to re-raise your empathy, your sense of humour, your kindness, your flirtation, your silliness, something that's going to make people respond in a really human way. The big change, I think, in our thinking about loneliness in the last year has been from this the, the BBC research that said that it was actually younger, younger people, 16 to 24-year-olds, 40% are saying that they're always or often lonely. That's twice as much as the over 75s. So basically this whole thinking about this has, has, has flipped around. That's amazing. And in my that. head, yeah, it's, it, it's absolutely massive finding that we have this idea still of that sort of lonely older person looking out from behind the net curtains um, who is, you know, on their own and sad. And to some extent, the sort of um, the archetypes that, that me, and, um, me and Alex have talked about in, in Fred and Terry. But actually, it's those it's that younger generation who feels like they need more of that contact. And I think that just goes into this whole, whole, whole thing of it being very important for us not to think as, of, of this thing of volunteers and beneficiaries. Right. And actually, we're only a tiny moment away from being the beneficiary. And at some point, you know, it's, it's a fluid experience. Um, it's, it's so empowering to actually be that person providing that help. And that works both ways. Which and is are, you, why, are you getting a sense of that in terms of the feedback you get from the people yeah. who volunteer? It was a matter this morning. Um, I read uh, a tweet from from one of our one of our runners saying, "I visited my my good gym coach. We call the older people coaches because they're providing that that motivation to to run um, ninety nine times. Um, I couldn't recommend the experience enough. Once a week, I spend an hour or so with an elderly lady. I'm proud to call my friend, my surrogate grandma. 
enriching for both of us. Amazing. There was a guy called Sam, and I think it's that it's that two way thing. Which grandparents is just such an amazing um, sort of model for it to some extent, and, and the way that actually um, have have always in many cultures played an extremely important role in, in bringing up kids in, in families. And now, as we live more mobile lives, we don't live near our great grandparents. Um, so I think largely what Alex and I are trying to do is, is reconstruct some of those some of those structures that have existed for a long time that just make it easy for you to like you know catch up with someone I mean that does seem to me to be really important because if it's if it's like do-gooding by the younger person it feels like a chore doesn't it yeah I, I mean I think um volunteering in this country is wonderful and has an important role to play, but that the powers that be overvalue some of that volunteering because it's it's you know it's structured, it's organised, it's easier to measure than the volunteering that's not even through an organisation like ours, which says that you're just picking up a pint of milk for an older neighbour or you're taking your neighbour's kids to school. I think if we can find some way to measure the value of that, whether in our GDP or through government or through one of the amazing foundations in this country, that's really important. Ultimately, what we're getting at is not merely loneliness that's the problem that we're trying to solve but actually if you flip that and you think optimistically about what we could achieve if we writ this movement large which i think we're on the cusp of doing by the way is a sense of belonging particularly in a rapidly changing world particularly in rapidly changing cities and communities which are affected by globalization gentrification housing bubbles uh, digitization transients that i was talking about that actually you will find that people feel that they can put down roots through the relationships that they hold in their local community you're both working on a younger older people's model correct more, more or less is that right more or less i mean presumably this is but this could be about other divides that exist in our society absolutely and i think class faith whatever we the stitching in society is coming apart because of the lack of association whether to trade unions or political parties or your local scouts group or football or the things that gave people identity which are now unaffordable for people to go and stamp their identity on something and have those relationships with people who mean something to them which means that you know one in four mums feels lonely often or always suicide is the biggest killer of young under the men under the age of 45 in this country there is a mental health crisis there is a loneliness crisis but as i was saying before that's not just because people are disconnected from their wider communities it's also because they're disconnected from themselves and this feeling of being part of something bigger so i completely agree and some of the work that the cares family is doing uh, over the next 12 24 months is to see whether our model of mutual interactions that mean something to both parties across perceived divides can be applied to educational inequalities class inequalities racial divides ethnic divides religious divides north-south divides the filter bubbles that we get from this dominance of technology in our lives um, and to try and get people to overlook some of those perceived divides and come together because, as Michelle Obama says, you can't hate up close. What's the biggest barrier to entry for people for in both cases of your thing do you find? For, for us, I'd say it's, it's time and access. People, people will say it's too... It, it, uh, yeah, I haven't got time. I'm too busy. Uh, people also, and, and, and provision also, in most of our sessions are, are full... We have in, in every area, we'll have one uh, group session a week uh, and we're pretty much at capacity for those. So we need to find ways to be able to put more of them on. I mean, like like a gym that's open 24 hours, that's where we need to get to. We need to make it that easy for you to, to turn up that, you know, in 20 minutes time, you've got something just down the road that you can get involved in. And, you know, in the CARES family, I think similarly to Ivo, some of the barriers to making 
this stuff happen is are actually the reasons that we do it. People are living such seemingly busy lives mm-hmm. that um, they think that they don't have time or they're too tired after work and um, they find that mm-hmm. some other community organizations may be too bureaucratic or they can't relate to them. So again, you have to lower the barrier to entry and make it easy for people to get involved. Ultimately, the biggest barrier in my experience is actually British culture. This thing that you know we we prioritize what's efficient over what's important. We have this kind of northern European individualist society um, in parts of southern Europe, Africa, Asia, uh, South America. They don't have this same problem where they don't have um, relationships with people who are not like them or from different generations. So I think we need to look at the kind of buttoned up, stiff upper lip of. Of, and keep calm, carry on British culture and realise that we need to create public spaces for people to interact on their own terms organically as well as through organisations like ours. How, what's the scale of your ambition and sort of how, but not just what you're both doing, how do you scale this up? I think there's a, there's a strong need for it to happen in some way. We're going to be in a world, I think, very soon where most people don't need to work. I was listening to um, Harari, the author yeah. of uh, Sapiens, I think for the first time we have a dominant sort of ideology that says actually people are not that important to the to the future of uh, of, of the world. Um, and I think that, you know, we're, we're going to get close to that. A lot of us will have this, a lot of free time. And it's our choice now to decide what we want that what we want that to look like. So I think it's extremely important that we do work to, to elevate that sense of human connection and contribution through projects like this but also others in terms of our ambition i think it's absolutely needed we we, we would like to operate in, in in every city in the world we're getting to the stage where we're you know every city in the uk um but yeah there's still you're a long gonna, way to go you're going to go beyond the uk are you is your neck is one step you um, i hope so i think in the next in the, in the next year or so we will have done we will have been fully established yeah. in the uk on a sort of sustainable basis um it would then make sense to to, to, to look to look further afield we want to help as many individual people as possible in their own communities feel as connected as possible. And yet that leads you to a question of scale of your organization, which I don't think ultimately is going to solve this problem. So I think there are policy things and systemic things that government and local authorities can do. And actually, this government has already created the loneliness minister and there are objectives within this government. Do you feel um, they're doing a good job with it? I think that in putting it front and centre, they have raised a question which leads us on to the next question, which is ultimately about British culture change. And that's the thing I think we ultimately need to do. I don't want to skip to the end um, and the Jeffocracy, but what I would do oh, if skip, I was... Let's skip to the end. Let's skip to the end. So what would you do if you were Minister for... I mean, would it be Minister for Loneliness? What would you like to well, be? Well, that's already... that's There is already a Minister for Loneliness. So what I would Look, say... Look, the, the new broom is going to sweep clean in that Jeffocracy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that the disconnection that we're experiencing in our ostensibly connected age that has created Brexit as a symptom of that disconnection. Brexit is not a cause of that disconnection. It's only you know the, the tip of the iceberg. Um, what I would do would be once the legal Brexit is accomplished, whether it's accomplished, we don't know, but once it's accomplished, I would um, shift all of the money that's in the Department for Leaving the European Union and create an institute or a Department of Connection that not only did lots of research on how to reduce loneliness, how to build communities, particularly in the fastest changing communities, but that also created pilots all over the country and some of the places that are most affected by loneliness. And again, not just across generational divides, but across class divides, race divides, ethnic divides, all the different divides that there are, and make sure that this was a number one priority. And I would partly do that by creating a new national narrative that um, connects our disconnection in this connected age back all the way 
to the history of the British Empire, slavery, because until we have that discussion um, about the way that British power and wealth uh, has amassed in certain places and therefore created powerlessness as well, until we have that conversation, I don't think we can have a fully inclusive country. Have we got an episode for you yeah, coming exactly. up soon? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Ivo? The issues that we're looking at are affecting uh, cities at least across the uh, across the Western uh, countries. Um, so uh, in terms of policy, I think I would be encouraging any um, public service or government uh, funded service to be building in some opportunities for mutual aid of some kind. So I think the, the, the example that I was thinking of was I had a... Um, baby two years ago and i did the the nct baby classes that you, you pay quite a lot of money for and i did the nhs ones which you which are free um and the only real difference between those two those two things was that the the nct ones basically forced you to set up a whatsapp group with those people uh, and to start using it while you're in it and so that starts building these these connections and these opportunities for the parents at a time of need to help each other out and that, um, and because it's expensive, that's only middle class people, and, and is, is quite yeah. exclusive. And the NHS ones give you the information, then go home. There was no uh, expectation that there was that connection would be established. So I would put into every everyone bidding for any uh, you know public sector contract, potentially even you know outside, that they need to build in those opportunities for 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 mutual aid because it's those tiny things, even things like you know that people help you up the up the stairs in the tube station with the with with the, the buggy, um, that people like light each other's cigarettes, which is not very healthy, but um, you know th- those tiny things where it's permissible to ask a uh, ask a stranger for that help, they establish trust, they establish the the basis of community and that community is the basis of belonging happiness and all of those other things that we that we that we really need our listeners are, are raring to go for both good gym and cares tell them what they need to do or they can do uh well if you live in north london south london manchester liverpool or east london you can go to the websites um northlondoncares.org.uk etc or you can visit the overall uh, caresfamily.org.uk website uh, also what you can do is get in touch with us because if you don't have a cares family branch in your local community we're looking at ways to spark this movement and we want to be able to support you to do this in your own way in your own community so uh, if you get in touch with me on twitter or elsewhere then uh, let's see if we can help and you and what are you that. on twitter alex smith 1982 and for Good Gym, it's really easy to get involved. You don't have to run. There are sessions um, every week um, all, all across the country. If you go to goodgym.org, uh, you should be able to find a, a session that suits you. Walking, running, uh, it's very easy to get involved and everything we do is free. I'm incredibly inspired. Even you're inspired. Definitely. I'm pulling out some ivy. Good. Alex and Ivo, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. All right, well, to, to bring what we've been talking about to life and give you an example of it in action, uh, we're going to speak to Emma and Joyce, who are a runner and a coach, in inverted commas, involved in Good Gym in Bristol. Uh, we have Emma first. Emma, hello. Tell us about how you got involved in Good Gym. Hi, I got involved in Good Gym because I, I moved to Bristol a couple of years ago and I'd heard about how inspiring it was to, to do Good Gym from my brother who lives in Sheffield um, and so I thought it'd be a good way to get to know people get to know the city but really just get involved in in something that was Bristol based and what's interesting there is I think often when people think about these things they they think about the the older person perhaps being the one who's not connected but you were a stranger in the city and it, it gave you a way of forging links 
Yeah, exactly. I actually started doing some of the group runs that Good Gym does, and I didn't know much about the coach runs at the time, but then other people um, told me about them, and actually I thought that was a really good match for me, a way to get to know someone that knows the city really well. They've lived here for a long time and has a really different perspective on things. Yeah, meeting Joyce every week is you know, it's a really nice part of my day as well because I do it. I go in my lunch hour on my work from home day. You know, it's something really nice for me to do. How far do you run, Emma, to see her? It's not very impressive, actually. It's uh, I run for about fifteen minutes. Well, that is impressive it's to me, that honestly. <laughs> that's that's fourteen minutes and fifty seconds more than Jeff runs yeah, for. Yeah. And does it been quite motivating for you? hugely motivated because otherwise I wouldn't run (laughs) I wouldn't run anywhere it makes you run because you know you're going to see someone and that's your you know that's your chance each week to to catch up with them and if you don't if you don't get out there and run you're not going to see them for a while and also it's a I'm hopefully it's a nice part of Joyce's day where you know, we're we're catching up on things, having interesting conversation. If you you're feeling lazy, it just gives you that extra push out the door to get outside. And, t- and tell us about the nature of your interaction with Joyce. I mean, what what have you got out of it? Well, Joyce is an incredibly interesting woman, and she's I mean, she's ninety six. Um, for me, I know, and she's so smart and has she, she's lived an incredible life, and she's in, really switched on. Um, so I learn a lot just talking to her about, you know, what's going on in the world. And she's she's incredibly knowledgeable about books and music and art. And she's, you know, we've read some, um, you know, poetry together. And she talks to me about all of her travels that she's done over the years, which is just incredible. And for me, I don't have an, any um, uh, other older people in my life, really. So it's nice to have someone who's who's lived for that long and, and you know, can can talk about all these incredible experiences that she's had and, and you know, her life during wartime and what Bristol's been like over the last de- few decades. So it's been, it's been really interesting for me to find out all uh, about that side of things. And, and what would you say to people who are listening to this who, like, they're, they're considering getting involved in Good Gym, but they're perhaps a little bit apprehensive about it? I would say just go for it because I think it's really well organized and at any point you only do as much as you want to do and I think actually you'll probably discover things and people that you you wouldn't have normally done and you do get you know there's exercise involved as well so it does actually help you keep fit. I think you're pushing Jeff over the edge into doing this. (laughs) Yeah you should. I'm really (laughs) evangelical about it. It sounds great, Emma. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. So I'm delighted to say, having talked to Emma, we're now joined by Joyce uh, on the line from Bristol. Uh, Joyce, thank you so much for joining us. I've been looking forward to it. (laughs) Fantastic. Tell us a little bit about your friendship with Emma. Well, she came to me as somebody, a volunteer, who would come and perhaps make my life more interesting. I've no family in Bristol. I'm Welsh, so I like talking. Right. <laughs> so um, it, it was a welcome. When she started coming, it soon became very obvious to both of us that we enjoyed each other's company. 
and um, what we were telling each other and how we were reacting to each other. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed talking and hearing and perhaps providing some of the young with some things they don't know about the past and how it was, particularly for women. And, and how about in the other direction? What, what do you learn from Emma, from talking to Emma? Well, Emma and I really talk about books. She works for a publisher, and I've always been a bookworm. And now, because I can't read anymore, I have macular, and I, I can't read. I talk about books I've read, and she talks about books she's read, and we, books we'd like to read, and, you know. And you can talk a lot about books to each other if you're both bookworms. And we're talking in our episode this week about projects like the one that's brought you and Emma together. Do you think yeah. we need more organisations doing this kind of thing? Yes, indeed. You feel it's got real, has had real benefits for you? Oh, yes. Yes, it makes, it's a lot of pleasure in my life because there's so many things I can't do anymore that I used to do. And it's just such a pleasure to um, to have somebody like Emma who really understands. Well, Joyce, it's been brilliant to talk to you. And uh, really, really inspiring. And Jeff and I are really grateful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And more power to your elbows, both of you. Thank (laughs) Thank you. So what did you think? Well, I mean, it just sounds great, doesn't it? I can sometimes be a bit sceptical about things where it seems like people are picking up the slack of what government should yeah. be doing yeah um and i know people will have different opinions sure. on that depending where you sure. are on the political spectrum um but but i mean th- there are policy things uh, as ivo pointed out but by and large i mean it just sounds like a good thing and i think i would like to get involved wow in having people come to my house and do things for me but maybe you'd like to read maybe i mean i was thinking about whether we should make some kind of pledge I, I pledge that if a runner wants to come here and do the washing up, the dishwasher's broken at the moment. Maybe we should do one good gym thing in the next 12 months. 12 to 18 months, definitely. 12 to 18 months. Yes. Next couple of years, we'll definitely do one. I'll definitely go for a run in two years' time. I think it's really inspiring. You know what I think it taps into? I think people want to be part of something bigger than themselves, and they want connection and belonging, which is what both Alex and Ivo were saying. And I think these kind of ideas, and, and I actually found Ivo and Alex, and Alex used to work for me, you know, incredibly inspiring because, you know, there they were, they met Terry and Fred and they could have just said, oh, well, let's be nice to Terry and Fred or whatever. But they they then, well, they had the insight and they thought we can make a huge difference. And when Ivo was talking about getting these emails, getting these reports and what was actually happening, you can see why for both of them, I mean, they are making a real difference and all of the people involved with it. And also, I thought Joyce and Emma were just absolutely brill. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let us know your thoughts on this week's episode. Have you been inspired to volunteer? Have you got experience in volunteering? Uh, you can email us reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Twitter or Instagram at cheerfulpodcast or go to facebook.com stroke reasons for cheerful podcast. Now, this is an interesting email. This is from Anna who says, uh, Dear Ed and Jeff, since listening to you, I have felt inspired to join Extinction Rebellion, do park run, and organise two litter picks. Wow. She says, I've got my husband listening to you too, and we often sit around the dinner table agreeing with each other about the state of the world while our son throws his food on the floor. He is 36. Um, my idea for a reason to be cheerful is the Olympic Games. Andrew Zimblist is an economist who has contrasted the unrealistic claims of the benefits to the host city with the economic cost of hosting the Games, the unaccountability of the IOC, people being removed from their homes to make way for venues, host cities being left with facilities they don't need. People talk about intangible effects like national pride or the inspiring effect of seeing elite athletes competing, but I don't buy that as their performance level is just too unattainable. So my idea for improving the Olympics, she adds in brackets, Jeff is going to hate this, I actually love this. Oh, I'm on tenterhooks. This is like the cliffhanger. Yeah? It's good, this, is to have competitors randomly selected from wow, the population, sortition style. I envision a sort of cross between the Generation Game and the Hunger Games. That sounds far more interesting to me. Yeah. Um, they, they could be selected to the team three years in advance to be given access to professional coaches and facilities. It would inspire people more. Uh, and as they would see non-athletes like them competing, the Strictly effect, it would motivate government to fund grassroots sport and motivate people to maintain a high level of fitness. See, you have lost me, I'll be honest, because the way I was envisaging it is there's no training. Yeah. You just get picked the week before and then yeah, you have to do it. Yeah, but that would be quite embarrassing. Then you'd be in a, like a stadium of 80,000 people yes. sort of limping do you not think that would be around more interesting? the 5,000 for, metres. For me, that would be more interesting to watch. What if it was you that was picked? <laughs> that would, but, I th- you know, I look at some of the people on the street and, and mainly 
talking about children, but I do think I could beat some of them in a race. Very young I think you children. need training. I think she's right about that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, I wonder if they did that in Greek or Roman times. I wonder. There must have been something like that going it's, on. It's a great idea. She adds, P.S. I love Gentleman Jack, which we were talking about, but uh, you could have warned me about all the deaths and injuries. Sorry, 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 Anna. There you go. Uh, this one comes from Tiger Stone. No relation to Tiger Woods. Uh, hi, Ed and Jeff. I don't think it tends to work like that. <laughs> it doesn't, no. Uh, just checking you're listening. I've just been listening to the most recent podcast about trees. It has implored me to make you aware of holistic grazing. Basically, it's a farming technique which involves moving livestock in a way that mimics the predation of large groups of herbivores, meaning the livestock generally stays in a more compact formation. I'm telling you this because it's been found the soil which has supported holistically managed cattle can absorb one third more CO2 than the cattle produce. Actually, somebody told me about something very similar uh, yesterday. Although it's not entirely related to trees, I thought it would be worth mentioning as something to go alongside tree planting. If you're interested in this topic, I highly recommend Cows Save the Planet by Judith Schwartz, which inspired me to do an environmental science degree, and The City Forest by Pierre Yeomans, which is a lot more tree-focused, so perhaps a little more idealistic in places. Anyway, I really love the podcast and happily bow down to Jeff, our supreme leader and one true god. I mean, I'm practically I mean, sort of choking well, as I get this out. Hugs and kisses, Tiger Stone. I mean, you pick a role in the Jeffocracy Tiger. And also on this, uh, on last week's episode, this uh, this has the subject line, Reasons Not to Garden. It comes from Matthew Oliver, who says, I have a surprisingly large and unkempt garden in South London, which I am too lazy to keep nice. It's full of weeds, wild flowers, fruit trees, and all sorts of prickly things. It's also teeming with wildlife, including bees, butterflies, bugs, and is even home to London's apex predators, the cat and the fox. I am regularly scolded by my enthusiastic gardener parents for letting nature take over my plot of land. Yet now, thanks to you, I have been vindicated with the knowledge that I am, in fact, the owner of an effective carbon sink and therefore a reason not to garden. I hope other non-gardeners like me have been similarly inspired to keep their tools in the shed. Send us your ideas or suggest a guest for a future episode. Email reasons at cheerfulpodcast.com. Find us on Facebook. Or tweet at Cheerful Podcast. And joining us now with some ideas, comedian Joe Bohr. Hello. 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 Um, this is the second time Joe and I have, have met in recent weeks because I interviewed Joe uh, on, on um, Radio 5 Live. And your yeah. Edinburgh show sounds fantastic. Uh, Ed, you, you tuned in and you heard all about it, Definitely, did you? definitely. So, <laughs> so can you praise you for every... Because I know, you know, as a supportive friend, you would be listening to me on the radio. Yeah. Can you praise you for everybody what Joe's show is about? I mean, it's just so, so rich and yeah. textured Joe, yeah. Joe that it's just Joe. almost impossible to summarize don't you think Joe I mean you've actually got to be that you've got to be in it to win it you've got to be <laughs> you've got to be there to really get the full flavor it's really of it. amazing the politician, yeah. Yeah. the politician yeah. ducking the questions it's quite something isn't it so so for, for people like Ed who don't know can you yeah. tell us what the, what the show is I mean, it sounds pretty serious it's called uh well it's called Joe Bore the story of Walter and Herbert and it's um it's it's about my granddad and uh, and his best friend who's a was a famous actor Herbert Lom. Uh, Herbert Lom, yeah, yeah, famous. you know, Herbert Lom. and yeah, yeah and um, basically it's about their friendship. They they lived in Prague, and and Herbert helped my granddad escape during the Holocaust. Wow, and it's an amazing story. Um, I can say that because it's not my story; it's my granddad's story. Herbert Lom was in the Pink Panther film. Yeah, 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 and um, they they were each other's best men. 
and they both became very successful. My granddad got a CBE for architecture. And, Your granddad uh, had an extraordinary life, sort of planning. shaping a lot of uh, modern modern architecture and modern cities. Yeah, he designed uh, Milton Keynes. What was uh, his name? Uh, Walter Bohr. Right. Um, he was also a town planner for, for Prague and, and uh, Liverpool and a lot of other places. He was a very funny guy and, and found found the humour uh, in it all. Even though you know he went through went through quite a lot. Um, and their friendship, just their friendship, was was quite funny. They were very competitive, like most friends, and, and sort of talk about that you know, in the show. Come along, come oh, along. We don't want to. We don't want to give too many brilliant. spoilers away. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's great a uh, great story it's, to make into a show. Yeah, it's a lot of research. I've never had to research a show before. Normally, I just put in. Is it harder gags. or easier than just writing jokes? Oh, uh, it's very hard. It's just a lot of. Re- I, I would have spent the day sort of reading and uh, rather than writing. But then it, it's. Uh, it's very rewarding. I feel like I'm doing something a bit more worthwhile than just. And how did you first come across yeah. the story? Uh, I I don't know. I I I sort of I hadn't done Edinburgh for a while, and then I sort of realised that I, I found these letters that they they'd written to each other actually, and uh, and they'd written Amazing. a declaration uh, of success. They'd written you know this thing together that I found of them talking about how they wanted to be a success in in I think it was like 1939 or Amazing. something. And it was really inspiring, and I thought there's there's, there's something in this. Uh, yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Everyone should go along. Yes, yeah, so on at the underbelly. Yeah. Underbelly at four o'clock. Yeah, great. And yeah, you've brought some ideas for us today. Yes. Uh, what's yes. what's the first one? I, I'd like to see body diversity on Love Island. More hairy men, basically. <laughs> as a, as a hairy man uh, myself, I think just. Do you gen- feel marginalised as a hirsute gentleman? I, I feel underrepresented. Uh, you don't see a hairy back very often on television, do you? No, no. There's not. You know, I'm quite. Uh, I've got a hairy chest, and you just don't even see that. They're shaving a lot. Um, Ed is completely smooth like an action man. <laughs> That's quite true. What is this Love Island thing anyway? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> don't watch it. Do you know what? Yeah. It? yeah. They, uh, but there's these. Jeff and I have handsome. had disagreements in the past. Well, I was them. really into it last year, and I even bought Ed a Love Island themed water bottle, which he smashed up. accidentally (laughs) but I I haven't watched it this year because I sort of said to my wife look I will watch it but not if it's the TV main course it can be the starter or it can be the dessert but it can't be our TV main course no wonder people have like body image problems in the country maybe like a dad bod version Mm. love dad bod island because they're, mo- they're going to do it twice a year now so they're going to no. yeah they're going to do two series a year so hopefully and also i think you could be in with a chance for that you know i'm married <laughs> you know the dad bod. oh i've definitely got the yeah. dad bod yeah, yeah 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 i'd just like to see more of that yeah I think. all right we'll have that what's uh, what's your next one joe i think we should do something about people who try and make other people drink alcohol right. um i'm i'm not a ma- i mean i do drink it but i'm not a massive sort of alcohol drinker and i'm I'll be in the pub and I'll, I'll want to order a soft drink and my, my friends will be like, no, you know, no. I'm a food person. I don't sort of go up to my friends and sort of force them to eat food. And go, no, no, you have to, you have to have some. But do you not do that thing where you say, oh, you've got to try this. I mean, just, just oh, have, yeah, have maybe a bite. I do. Yeah. Maybe I do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not quite in the same way with drink. Drink is different. Yeah. I think we're on for this. Yeah. Harry Love Island. No drink. <laughs> no drink shaming. No drinking pressure. Yeah, yeah no yeah. drinking pressure. We're not abolitionists. <laughs> uh, I think stealing jokes should be illegal. I wrote a joke in 2013 and it was in the kind of best jokes of the fringe lists. What is it? Better, you, I'm afraid this is a big build up, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> What's the joke? I know. Well, the joke is my wife told me uh, sex is better on holiday, which, which is not a nice postcard to receive. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so that doesn't seem, I mean, that seems like it would be your joke. But often, yes. you know, I will see people on Twitter saying, oh, such and such has stolen my joke. And you just think it's a pretty commonplace idea that two people could have gotten to independently of each other and you've got six followers. So how would they have overseen it? In the I, first I should just let it go and write, write new jokes. And I just feel like most times it's happened you just give people the benefit of the doubt because like especially people who are doing it professionally yeah. the worst thing you can be labeled as is a thief yeah. so why would somebody be going around stealing something when it potentially would be damaging to their careers also i think ideas there's loads of them you know i mean you speaking can... personally that's what i did when Theresa may stole the energy Price <laughs> carrot. i just thought she had the same idea just coincidentally yeah. three years later she had the same idea and and do you have one last idea joe uh Introduce financial incentives for getting fit. How much will you pay me to come to part run with you then? Ed? I mean, this is... <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good idea. Yeah, I, 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 I try and be healthy, but I sort of struggle. And then a friend of mine sort of said, "Let's fifty pounds if we meet our, our goal, or if we don't meet our goal, we give the, give each other money." And some, it's sort of having that in my head actually makes me want to be more fit. I haven't. I mean, it hasn't quite worked yet. Because once you but... do it, you kind of. I'm so parkrun has been the revelation of this year for me. So I was in Sweden recently, went to see a friend whose weight goes up and down. Him and his friends decided they were going to get in. They, they wanted to lose some weight. And yeah. So he talked to a doctor and said, how much is, is a healthy amount to lose? And the doctor said 10% of your body weight over the course of four months. So they decide they're going to do this, but they don't want to make it a competition about who loses the most weight because then like somebody might go nuts with it and whatever. But they do feel there needs to be some kind of forfeit if you don't hit 10% of your body weight. So they come up with this idea that whoever doesn't hit the 10% has to donate the equivalent of £100 to the Sweden Democrats which is like the far right party oh, wow. in That's Sweden. Great. And then they That's have to great. screen grab it and send it to the others. And then they can put it on social media as a way of shaming them. So it's like his incentive uh, to, to look to hit this target is to not give money to the far right. That's dangerous. Yeah. Is this how Boris Johnson it feels is? like? A, exactly. It feels like a reckless gamble. What, what, uh, what happened? Well, they're, they're still in the competition, but I think they they've are. All, the I think they're all on on course to lose ten percent of the body weight. I'm not sure I'd recommend. This. No, it's, it's, feels, it's a high risk strategy. Feels isn't a bit it? Russian roulette. Yeah, yes, it does. A bit. <laughs> all right, Joe. Uh, the show is on at the Underbelly in Edinburgh. Yes, at uh, four p.m. Yeah, the the story of Walter and Herbert. Yeah, great. Come on. Sounds brilliant. Thank you. Come on. Reasons to be cheerful with Ed Miliband and Jeff Lloyd. We're in the outro. Here we are. I know. And it's Our last be, outro. I know. I might, I might, my hankies are going to come out. But before we go, I do want to mention... Speaking of hankies coming out, yes. we, ordered, we, ordered, uh, we ordered food to be delivered during the podcast yeah, today. And Joe. And, uh, and, and Joe, who works with us, very kindly went downstairs yeah. to get some cutlery. Ed said, can you get some paper towel? I said, oh, I haven't got any, um, but maybe you could bring up a couple of tea towels. And Joe somehow has found two of my hankies. I mean, where were you rummaging to find those, Joe? <laughs> I'm now waving it above my head. Uh, um, you just tie little knots in it and put so it on your head on your holiday. Talking of Joe, yeah. who's a brilliant person, his partner, Sarah, runs an absolutely fantastic organisation, which I want to give a shout-out for, called the Kids Network. And basically, it's mentoring for 8 to 11-year-olds. They operate in London. It's honestly tremendous. I went to a dinner the other night, which was a fundraiser for them, and and you know they are making the, the mentors. It's quite intensive mentoring once a week, 
but the mentors are making an absolutely massive difference to the lives of kids from from quite sometimes quite difficult backgrounds um and it's a brilliant charity and you can find out more about it on my social media or it's uh, the kids network so i'd like to thank alex smith ivo gormley and Joyce and Emma. And Joe Borg. Go see his show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Emma Caution produces our podcast uh, with backup and research from Joel Pierce and Joe Kenyon. Gail Lofthouse is our announcer. Ed C composed the music. James Deacon made the ident and the artwork was made by Emily Power. So that's it. Yeah, You've I got know. live episodes all summer long, and there's some cracking ones, including in a couple of weeks, episode 100, at Abbey Road. Written Constitution, Abbey Road, How to Tackle the Climate Emergency, Empire. Empire, there's I mean, a, honestly, just lots to get your teeth into. All fantastic, fantastic uh, episodes, and we will see you in September. Uh, meanwhile, he's been to Pizza Express. He wasn't invited. And these have been reasons to be cheerful. <laughs>